a crazy, wild-eyed musician, rocker, hardcore. But he's quite different today. is absolutely amazing it, it truly is and today we're going to meet Corey McKenna he is an amazing man and he was somebody who uh, didn't start off quite right on the East Coast but you know God had his plans and God encountered his soul at a very unique time and this story tells us about how he saw his life and how he suddenly and remarkably saw God as the Lord was speaking to him. So as we focus on this, keep in mind that this man is an amazing person. His name is Corey McKenna, Beyond the Call. The most known, yet most underread book in the world. What is it? It's the Bible. It is known by millions, yet undiscovered by millions. The Bible is a book rich in the knowledge about us and about God. Come along with us as we explore this beautiful book full of God's wonder and discover what it really means to be human. From the first book of Genesis all the way to the last book of Revelation, join us. People determined to know what the Word of God says. For your sample copy of the Bible Discovery Guides, contact us at Bible Discovery, P.O. Box 150, Murraysville, Pennsylvania, 15668-0150. Or in Canada, P.O. Box 456, Orangeville, Ontario, L9W5G2. Or simply go to www.biblediscoverytv.com. chapter 9 verse 1 says, Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any, any of them who went by the way, they called it Christianity, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. You know, Saul was a, a very interesting guy, and he later turned and God confronted him. Very, very interesting. On Beyond the Call today, we have somebody. And Corey McKenna is a great person. And Corey, welcome. God bless you. Good Thanks for having you. me. Now, let me ask you a question. What do you do? So uh, I am a, I'm a missionary evangelist. With a, a missionary evangelist. A missionary evangelist, evangelist. yes, In sir. Canada. In Canada, yeah. In Canada. And what, so, does it, what do you do? I evangelize, I guess, but no, I, I am the founding president of, uh, of a ministry called The Cross Current. So The Cross Current is a local missions ministry that equips the church, what we call by example, uh, to normalize sharing the gospel in all your personal, 
and your community relationships. Normalize sharing yeah. the gospel. I mean, right. the gospel means good news. Sharing the good news. What good news? You mean Jesus Christ? Amen to that. Yeah. How do you normalize that? I mean, people are shy. Well, I would say when it becomes an expression of your of your worship, it becomes much more organic that way. So in other words, you teach people that to worship is more than just singing. It's more than just going to a church and praising God. It's in your life. Amen. Worship inspires witness is what we say in our training. Worship inspires witness. Worship inspires witness. So, so if it was real on the inside, you better make it real on the outside. <laughs> How's that sound? Sounds good to me. <laughs> uh, but, but this is a really interesting thing. So now you work with, with pastors. I was a pastor myself for 17 years. Yeah. 17 I years. I love pastors, man. Did yeah. you, when you pastored, uh, did you ever find it? Most people were just shy about their faith. They didn't want to sing to anybody about it. Yeah, most people, starting with me, I mean, my story would uh, would be very indicative of that fact that I had been pastoring about five years and had no clue how to share the gospel biblically. So you with were anybody. a pastor. I was a pastor. You had no clue. No clue. So what happened? That's a great question. So I, I needed an example in order to be uh, to be inspired to be a more faithful gospel witness. So what happened with me? I'd been about five years pastoring. And uh, a dear friend of mine uh, knew that I was uh, kind of heavily convicted about this fact. Uh, I was teaching evangelism. I was preaching evangelism, but I had no idea how to share Jesus with anyone. And so someone sent me a, um, I guess it was a, uh, an invitation to what was called an evangelism boot camp, Southern California. And so I jumped on an airplane alone. I went down to Southern California and I, I was just so blessed. I encountered for the first time what I would affectionately call a worshiping and witnessing church. It was amazing to see 50 seed sowers from all over the world set aside their secondaries of doctrine and just to preach Jesus, to pray for people, to reach out with a cup of cold water. And I was deeply affected by that and came back to Canada and, uh, and founded the Cross Current Ministry in 2007. Cross Current Ministry, as a result of this, is a radio program, is it not? We did we did uh, outreach radio for a lot of years. We've now pivoted and we're moving online, like a lot of folks are. So uh, the radio show still plays, but it's not uh, it's not. There's no new programming being produced. We're now pouring our time into gospel outreach media. I listen to your radio program, and uh, you, you go out on the street and you talk to people, mm -hmm. and you get a lot of uh, interaction from people. And what's fascinating is that a lot of people talking about creation, talking about when well, we came from pond scum and we came from slime. You know, it's okay to act like slime. And you deal with that. You talk to people about that. What do you say? We welcome that, as a matter of fact, because um, we believe that when we have the truth, the truth sets us free. And so we want to build those conversations on the rock of Scripture. Illustratively, Jesus tells us that we, we build a house. We build on a, a firm foundation when storms come, when opposition comes. To that foundation, the house stands because it's wisely built on Scripture. Conversely, everyone's building a house on some sort of foundation. So when the same storms come to that house, it falls flat because it's foolishly built. And so conversational evangelism really exposes the condition of one's foundation. Conversational evangelism. Yeah, you like so, that? So how does I just that, made that up. That's how good, does right? that work, conversational <laughs> evangelism? Well, obviously, we know faith comes from hearing the Word of God. And when we have a conversation with someone about God's Word, that's pretty powerful because that is how God gives the gift of faith we need to be saved. And so conversational evangelism is quite simply sharing the good news of Jesus in conversation with others. That's it. 
So in other words, that's Matthew 28 right there when you tell the people. So it's not that you need to preach to them, in a sense. You have to talk with them. Yeah, I think I, th I would say evangelism by definition is both preaching and personal witness. There's Caruso. There's, there's a time and a place uh, for preaching God's word that way. But, you know, try that at Tim Hortons. You'll get kicked <laughs> out, right? So, you know, coffee, coffee shops, Tim cafeterias. Coffee shop, yeah. Right, yeah. So we would say, no, I mean, conversations uh, are the way the gospel's traveled for 2,000 years, and so we're just continuing the conversation. But your point about the, the, the creation issue, we actually frame our evangelism training, uh, all of our gospel outreach programming with what we call the three big questions. And so in, in Paul's, I love the fact you started with Saul. Paul's kind of my hero. I believe Paul is sort of the, the quintessential postmodern evangelist. And Paul walks into Mars Hill, and he, he really intimates in his presentation to the Epicureans and Stoics three big questions. And you've heard these before. Where do we come from? What's the meaning of life? What happens after we die? That is our framework for every gospel conversation we, we have with people we do know or with people we don't know. Because that really sets the table for a worldview discussion uh, on the truth of God's word. Now, this, this is fascinating because uh, most pastors will... I've met some pastors who say, well, I'm, I'm not an evangelist, so I teach my people, and they, it's up to them to evangelize. Yeah, swing and a miss. What do you say to that? <laughs> I, I would say there's three uses of the word evangelist in the New Testament. Two of those are the work of, I mean, Paul charges Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. That's sharing the gospel with a non-Christian. That's an act of worship. We should desire to do that. We should, we should want our lost loved ones saved. This, the second use is Philip the evangelist was doing that work as well. But Ephesians 4 introduces this concept we would qualify as an equipping evangelist alongside pastors and teachers in that same leadership discussion is evangelists to equip the saints. That's more about discipleship. So we would say, generally speaking, all Christians have the joy and privilege of worshiping Christ through gospel witness. But there are evangelists that God gives the church to equip the saints to multiply gospel ministry. Maybe that's a distinction that needs, needs to be fleshed out of it. Yeah, to, well, tell me about that, to multiply it. So how do you do that? Discipleship. I mean, uh, we, can, we can equip one person to pass tracks and have conversations, which is an amazing thing. That's adding laborers to the harvest, which is great. But when we disciple make, when we multiply ministry in and through the church, it's like the question, you know, how many seeds are in an apple? About seven seeds are in an apple. How many apples are in a seed? It's incredible. That's disciple making. So the call of the Great Commission is actually to go and make disciples. The imperative is making disciples. But you haven't made a disciple until you've been discipled and made more disciples. It's a multiplicative endeavor is the Great Commission. So if you're, I mean, I'm a pastor. I'm going to say this with a pastor's heart. But if you're sitting in church, you're not discipling anyone and you're not evangelizing, I question what the heck you're doing, quite frankly. <laughs> <laughs> and I say that with love, Rod. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Let me ask you this question, because, and this is a very interesting one. How many sisters or brothers do you have? I have one older brother. But you act like you're the oldest, right? <laughs> yeah, I do. I do. I'm not particularly proud of that. I, I really do, yeah. I, I'm kind of the, uh, the type A. Um, yeah, because yeah. I saw a picture of you, and it's really interesting. You had hair down to here. Yeah. You were yeah, I was a hard rock singer in a band, met my wife in a bar. That's all true. You can't make that up. That's true. So yeah. when did you come to know the Lord? It was March 19th, 1995. Okay, 95. 95 is an interesting year. Mm -hmm. uh, that's interesting. That's uh, 
five years after that this ministry Bible discovery was born and all of that, where did it happen? Did it happen in Canada? Did it happen in the USA? In Halifax, Nova Scotia, where I'm born and raised. In Halifax, Nova Scotia, you're born in the East Coast. I am. You're raised in the East Coast. This is now true. we're going to talk all about this in the next segment, but uh, say hello to your East Coast friends. Hello to the Maritimes. I love the Maritimes. <laughs> Good fishing, good fishing in the Maritimes. Have you been fishing in the Maritimes? I have, yeah. Really? Yeah. A lot of my family were fishermen. No kidding. And now I'm a fisher of men, so it sort of works, worked out well in the end. <laughs> Very good. That's excellent. Well, stay there because on this program, we're going to talk about that and more in just a moment. The Bible Discovery Guide takes you through pages of the most important book that you will ever read. It is the Word of God. Through careful exploration and thoughtful insight, we uncover the truths presented in the Bible. For your sample copy, write to P.O. Box 150, Murraysville, Pennsylvania, 15668-0150. That's Bible Discovery, P.O. Box 150, Murraysville, Pennsylvania, 15668-0150. In Canada, write to Bible Discovery, P.O. Box 456, Orangeville, Ontario, L9W 5G2. That's Box 456, Orangeville, Ontario, L9W 5G2. Or simply go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com. This is uh, 9, chapter 9, verse 10 in Acts, the book of Acts. Now there was a certain man, a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord came to him in a vision. Ananias, he said, here I am. And so the Lord said, arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he is praying. Saul was known, by the way, to kill Christians. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming and putting his hands on him so that he might have sight. Then Ananias answered, what would you say? Ananias said, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And there he has authority from the priest. He comes here to bind those who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, stop, go. For he is chosen vessel of mine, bear his name or bear my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. And you know what Ananias did? He went. Now, I'm talking with somebody, Corey McKenna. And Corey is somebody who's been involved in the church. But Corey, before you ever came to know Jesus Christ, you had hair down to your waist. You were a rocker. You were just going crazy. <laughs> Tell me about that life. You want me to start there or do you want to wind it back? Wind it back. Okay, so um, I, I was thankful. I was raised in a uh, religious home, void of any really relationship with God. But I was thankful Christmas and Easter were celebrated. I knew of Jesus. I knew the Christmas narrative. I knew the Easter story. Thankful for that. Uh, but I was always scared to die. Very interesting. As a little kid, I was super intense. I, I'd been to a couple 
child psychologist by the time I was seven or eight years old, very intense, and always a fear of death. I was a hypochondriac. I was just really intense. And so, um, so that's sort of how I was raised and uh, had that fear. And scripture actually says we're in bondage to a fear of death because of enslavement by the devil. So I was in step with the testimony of scripture. But I, I thank God I, I had one born again Christian friend growing up. He was a little older than me. He was the older brother of my very best friend to this day. And his name was Greg. But Greg would try to share the good news of Jesus with me, and I was disinterested. And so that took me through to my early teen years. By the time I hit about 14, I started singing, songwriting. And uh, you, you saw the picture. You have to start to grow your hair pretty early to have hair that long. And so I started growing my hair and got in a band and uh, was not a Christian whatsoever. And uh, that was my life for a number of years. Our band was about to travel from Halifax to Toronto, the promised land of the Canadian music scene at that time. And I got a call that Greg Solomon was killed on a motorcycle, small town, Nova Scotia, coming back from proposing to his fiancee. And I was devastated. I mean, God took one of the good ones. And so I was, I was pretty angry. And so I'm sitting at Greg's funeral. You picture this and hair to my waist, listening to this preacher share this true story of an Olympic diver. And this diver had done everything. He'd won everything. He was very successful, very wealthy, but he was scared to die. Oh, I can relate to that. And as the story goes, this diver would climb out of bed in the middle of the, of the night, and he would climb up to the 10-meter high diving board. He was a high diver. And he would dive into the pool and try to just empty his thoughts, find himself. And this one particular... Uh, providential evening, he climbed up the 10 meter high diving board and he stood in that traditional diver's stance and there was a wall, the way the pool was built, there was a wall in front of him. The moon was behind him and it made the shadow of a cross. And in that moment, much like myself, he had enough religious upbringing that, that God sort of converged the information with the transformation. The Spirit of God assembled this story of the good news of the gospel that our perfectly just and gracious creator God who continually blesses us. He's looked upon hopelessly sinful humanity and he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to bear his wrath in our place. And through his death on the cross and resurrection from the grave, Jesus showed his supreme power over sin and death so that everyone who turns from their sin and trusts in Jesus alone as both Savior and Lord will be made righteous and reconciled to God now and forever for his glory. And he got it. God graciously granted him repentance he came down to the bottom of the diving board, fell to his knees in repentance, slept peacefully for the first time ever. Well, that's not where the story ends. The next morning, he gets up to look at his reflection in the pool. He was told by a Christian friend that your whole countenance changes when you're born again. And as he looked in the pool, he saw that there was no water in the pool. He was about to dive 10 meters up into a pool with no water. True story. And I'm thinking to myself, that's me. I'm about to dive head first not only into Toronto, but into eternity with absolutely no clue what I'm diving into. And that is when God started to draw me to, uh, to saving faith. And it was March 1995 where uh, I was invited to a, uh, a small church plant in Halifax. I stepped forward, put my faith in Jesus. And that's when things got really hard, frankly, in, in my family life. But, but God saved me and uh, set my feet upon a rock. Psalm 40 is sort of my testimonial psalm. I love Psalm 40, and it talks about how he lifted me out of the miry bog. He set my feet upon a rock. He made my steps secure, and he put a new song in my heart that I will sing to the great congregation. That really is my life in a nutshell. Um, 
in let scripture. Me, let me ask a question because you said there, it started with that at the funeral, hearing about that diver. Tell me about in your mind, what's going on now? Like, you know, between that time of you coming to know the Lord and they, there's a lot of things happening because you're in a band, you're doing rock, you're doing all this stuff. What's happening in your mind? How did God deal with you? Yeah. As he, as this preacher applied God's word to my heart, now the Holy Spirit was the one applying his word to my heart. He didn't even know me, but I was starting to hear solutions to my problems about my fear of death, about my lack of joy, about my, uh, about my messed up life. And I started to hear uh, through that preacher, but also I started to read God's word and God speaks by his spirit through his word. The spirit authored the book. And so God just started to reveal more and more of himself to me. And obviously that revelation culminates in the person and work of Christ. And so when I actually read the gospel, specifically John's gospel, that's not uncommon, an evangelistic gospel, um, the identity of Jesus, like, like, like Saul, the the scales fell off and I saw Jesus for who he truly is. And uh, it brought me to tears and repentance. So now you come to this place. What does repentance mean? Like, is it, how do you do repentance? Well, it wasn't just that I felt bad. I mean, it makes sense that a guilty criminal standing in front of a good judge should feel bad for his crimes. Uh, that, that makes sense. But it was more than that. God certainly gave me a, a sorrow for what I'd done. But he also caused me to turn around, to repent, to turn, to not just have a change of mind. Metanoia means change of mind. So all that happened, but that turning also caused me to turn towards Christ and receive his free gift of eternal life and to start walking and abiding and living for Christ. And that's different. That's not, you know, the cross purchases us two things. Yes, certainly redemption, praise the Lord, but also a changed life. And both must be in play for someone to be a true Christian. It took time. I mean, I was a project, Rod. But <laughs> How God, long did it take? Oh, um, it was probably about a, about a, I, actually September is when Greg passed away. It was the next March when I was born again. But as you know, that's when things got really hard. I mean, we think we ride off into the sunset, but uh, they hated him first. And so there was a lot of what was opposition. Hard? What was hard? Family life was really hard. Um, Obviously, I'd had, had this experience, and, and what I would be guilty of, and anyone watching, I would encourage you to sow the seed quickly, to, to share the gospel with your family quickly. Because what happened in my life, and now as an equipping evangelist who teaches evangelism vocationally really now, I've realized that the longer we withhold the grace of the cross, the more we demonstrate works righteousness. And if you think about that, that's true. And the gap widened more and more. So the more I was becoming like Jesus by the power and strength of the Spirit, but withholding the good news of the gospel, I was really agitating my family. They thought it was all me. I was just a better person than them. That is not the message of the cross. The message of the cross is you're better off, but you're not better. And, and God is finishing the good work he's begun in you. And he will. So... You then come to that place and you move here. Now, what about your wife? You were married before you were a Christian. Now you are a Christian. What's going on? Yeah, and so we were both saved the same year, married the same year. We had a pastor who I love dearly, a, a friend of ours we, we share in common, who, uh, who, had the, who had the guts biblically to say to us, you're living together. God's not happy with that. You've got to not do that, and then I'll marry you. And he did. And that was, uh, that was something we were very open to, obviously. Here we are. But when we moved from Halifax to Ontario, um, it wasn't a really popular decision with our families. My wife's an only child. 
I mean, you're starting to think, wow, the odds were stacked against you, my friend. And they really were. And so it's taken a long time. 95 was a long time ago. It's taken a long time for the fruit of salvation, the fruit of the Spirit to, and, and just us living, hopefully, as salt and light to our family. Now they're starting to at least see Christ in us, and they've heard the gospel. So um, we hope and pray that, uh, that they come to saving faith too. Fascinating stuff. Very interesting. So how many kids do you have? Two up, two down. We've, we, we have two with us, uh, Joshua and Caleb, and we have two with the Lord. Uh, Judah and Canaan are their names. Mm -hmm. Very good. That is excellent. I think that it's important to remember when we come to know the Lord, whatever we have in our life, God always, he doesn't shift it immediately, like a lot of people say, but he changes it slowly, like Paul. I mean, Saul, who turned into Paul, he didn't go into ministry right away. No. And that's very interesting. So you have to make a decision to go into ministry. When did you do that? So I really sensed a call uh, to church leadership very early. I'd done a lot of different sort of leadership roles. I believe I had the, the capacity for leadership. And, and, um, and so I was saved at 22. And for the next five years, I was in corporate life and doing my best there. But there was always this, I knew I was on a, a collision course for a call <laughs> of the Lord. To, and now I just want to be careful because, because I'm a missionary evangelist doesn't make me any more part of the call than the person who does other things. We need missionaries in every every sphere of, of culture. But for me, it was it was actually after the death of our first son that God confirmed the call. It was, he brought beauty from ashes. And that was October. I started Bible school in January, uh, entered pastoral ministry almost right away. And then uh, it wasn't until, like I said, five years in that I, I was equipped by example. That's key. That's our ministry's heartbeat. Equipped by example for evangelism that God really telescoped what I was supposed to do, what I was here for. And that call, passion and gifting converged and started the ministry. A program experience delivering what God is saying to the human race today. Reading the Bible from cover to cover, we learn how God spoke to the people in the past, speaks about the future, and shows us how to react and respond to the difficulties and discovering of our lives today. Bible Discovery TV is a program hosted by the Hembry family as they uncover the meaning of God's message to planet Earth. To discover the meaning of God's Word and how the Lord is speaking to us today, visit Bible Discovery TV at BibleDiscoveryTV.com. That's BibleDiscoveryTV.com. You know, it's stunning to me that you can take a, a gentleman like this who started out so violently against the Lord and yet come to the realization that God is real. And there may be some people who are watching who have come to that realization by hearing this story. Now, let me encourage you that this Beyond the Call program is brought to you by Jesus Christ. He came and he died on the cross and miraculously he rose from the dead so that we could respond to him. And if we call on his name and say, Lord, help me, I am a sinner and I need your help, he will respond. 
And let me encourage you today that he is as close, and this is one way I can say it and the best way really, that Jesus Christ is as close as the mention of his name, Jesus Christ, Yeshua HaMashiach in Hebrew. So come to the Lord today and consider what you've heard on Beyond the Call.